Hey there, Scott here from Social Energy Presents, and we'd like to thank you for joining us. Please like, share, and subscribe to support this and other great content. Our guest today is Sarah Smith, a Canadian singer-songwriter known for her intimate and authentic music style. On stage, Sarah is a force of nature, seemingly transitioning from calm to ferocious and from fierce to loving. With a quarter century of being one of the hardest-working roots rockers on the circuit, her music has earned critical acclaim and a dedicated fan base across Canada, the United States, and Europe. Throughout her career, Sarah has shared the stage with many renowned artists, including Melissa Etheridge, Nancy Wilson, Katie Tunstall, and many more. As a recording artist, Sarah skillfully expresses the breadth of the human experience, offering an unforgettable and life-affirming connection to her music. Her evocative solo albums, including Stronger Now, The Journey, and The Unveiling, and including her new album, Come Together, are resonating with the growing audience base, showcasing her growth as an artist. And today, Sarah joins us from her home in beautiful British Columbia for a look back at her career and to bring us up to speed on what she's working on next. So sit back, relax, and get ready, as Social Energy now presents you with your Backstage Pass. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted, I just wanted to talk to you. Just, I, I don't have anything planned uh, for this interview because I just figured we could just wrap this. Like you and I, you and I have sort of worked together on a professional level. We know each other a little bit, you know, just from talking on the phone and that sort of thing. But I just wanted to ask you just a whole bunch of questions about your process. The uh, one of the things that um, drew me to you for this interview was just how. Um, you're such a a hard worker and you you're the epitome of what it should be for an indie artist to to make it in this world thanks well yeah well, i mean definitely you work, hard worker <laughs> you really are a hard worker you 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 bust your butt every day every day and that's what it takes you know it's like it's not like here i've written a song come and get me you know well you know you, you get taught work ethic, I think. And um, I grew up on a farm and we were taught teamwork and work ethic. If we didn't work as a team, we wouldn't have got anything done around the farm. There was the house cleaning, the house chores, there was the barn chores, there was, um, you know, just the day-to-day taking care of a farm. And I was uh, fortunate enough to be my dad's farmhand. I was the one in the family out of four children that really enjoyed working with him. So, you know, music to me, you know, if I work, if it looks like I work hard, it's nothing compared to how I used to work on the farm. <laughs> so where was the farm? Where were you born? I was born in Guelph, Ontario. Okay. And the farm was just down the road in Arthur, Ontario. Yeah. And how big was it? It was not that big. It was a hobby farm. My dad worked at the University of Guelph in the vet. Um, college region with the animals themselves and then he would come home and we had this hobby farm so we had chickens and uh, you know we had some goats at one point we had lots of pigs um, 52 acres um, of crop as well that's a big hobby farm holy smokes yeah we ran it like it it was extra cash for my parents I remember selling chickens out of the back of the truck at church wow (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah like it was it was definitely a part of our family. So you you were a church family too? Yeah, definitely a church family. What what faith? 
Um, we were um, like Christian Protestants. So my we started out in Presbyterian Church and then we went to United Church. Uh-huh. And then um, near the end of my teenage years, um, my mom got really into uh, the church and she started going to some Pentecostal evangel- evangelical type churches. And oh I kind of, wow. I, I, I really enjoyed the passion behind all that stuff. And I enjoyed the theatricals and that kind of thing, but um, it scared me a bit. So I backed away a bit at that point. Yeah. I sort of feel the same <laughs> way. It's interesting though, you know, because I was, I was born uh, and raised a, a Catholic until, right. I mean, and practiced it. My mother died when I was in grade four. Um, and, uh, and after that, the family wow. just sort of stopped going to church, you know, hmm. not, not the immediate family. Like, I mean, I have, much older brothers and sisters and that sort of thing. But the the people, the ones that were left at home, because when my mom died, there was still my sister at home and who practically raised me. She was about 10 years older than me. And she was sort of stuck with the chore of raising me because my much older sister was 20 years older than me. Whoa. And, yeah. And so she was born. She was, when I was born, she was already taking nursing and well on her way. You know, they, she used to bring me to, uh, she used to take me to school. As a, basically as a subject, you know, as a baby, you know, <laughs> I, um, and I, apparently I was quite advanced as a baby, but probably because I had so many brothers and sisters, you know, edging me on. But I guess yeah. apparently one of the things that used to be is uh, all babies, all, all babies do this at this point, at this point in their life, except Mick, who did it a month earlier, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that became part of the curriculum as a joke, I guess, but um but yeah, um, but so you've always been a bit ahead of the game. Well, I wouldn't say that, but I, I was definitely I had lots of older brothers and sisters. I had lots of parents, you know, really. There was a seven seven kids in the family and uh, my mom and dad, my my mom worked. So I had a housekeeper. I remember being a very young infant, like two and three years old. And a housekeeper would come in in the morning because the kids would go to mm-hmm. school. My mom would go to work. Um, my dad would be at work. And then when the kids came home from school, they would look after me. And especially my sister got, you know, stuck with that chore. But uh, mm-hmm. shortly, so when by the time my mother died, it was just my brother Kenny, my brother Jimmy, me, my dad, and my sister Lydia. And my sister Lydia moved out about, gosh, I think within, I'm going to say probably within, my mom died June 7th. I think my sister Lydia di- moved out within two weeks of that. Oh, wow. That must yeah. have been tough for you guys. So you guys had to sort of. Yeah. The boys club. Well, yeah. Well, I found like she was, she was my mentor. She was the one that did everything in the family for, or like for me, she, she helped me with my schoolwork. I was always a grade A student. I was always at the top of my class. And it's because, you know, she, she aspired to be a, to teach a teacher, I guess. So, but yeah. uh, Anyway, enough of that. So let's get back. So you were born near Guelph and, or in Guelph, I guess, and just down the street and you had your hobby farm. So, so how long, did you, if your parents, how long did they have the farm for? Um, they had the farm up until only about five five to ten years ago. They sold their farm and moved into another country home. And then now they're living in a retirement community um, outside of Guelph. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and so when, when did you, do your parents play music? So, yeah, you know, church was a big part of the music for me. Church, um, my mom was the choir director. And she also was a soloist and she had this beautiful operatic voice um, and she would use it um, all the time in church. You know, you know, when the congregation was singing, you could always hear my mom on the top singing away 
the Jesus songs and she just loved them. And my dad would be beside me like, oh, just sort of humming away. Yeah. Um, but my mom was this church singer. My dad was a country guitar player. And he always sang at parties. We we called him Eeyore whenever he would have a few drinks and start playing. And uh, why, why Eeyore? Just uh, he kind of slowed down a bit, and he was always <laughs> he was always a uh, kind of jaded, and um, so we called him Eeyore. And um, he played like Johnny Cash and Kenny Rogers, and uh, you know the Gambler was a big hit in our household. Right. So yeah, music was a huge part of our life. And my mom and dad put us in music lessons. All of us started piano as soon as we were maybe four or five. And I eventually, you know, I got away from reading the, the, the music. I I got to about like grade four or five in conservatory. And then I would be following the music for the first few bars. And then I would just make it all up. I would just make up my own songs. And And the piano teacher said, you know, like to my mom, you know, she's really good at what she does, but I, I can't really teach her much anymore because she's not following the book. Um, and it was then that I realized that I actually could write music. And and I dug into those piano books and I did everything I could to find those little those little squares at the top of, of the piano notes that had little finger fingerings on them. Mm-hmm. And that was guitar chords. Right. And so then I would sneak away and get my dad's guitar and I would teach myself these guitar chords. And on top of that, one last thing, my mom, she worked at a school as a secretary. And in the summer and on holidays, she would bring home the school drum kit. Uh-oh. And so I got to play drums. And all through um, public school and uh, high school, I was the school drummer. Oh, wow. So, yeah, piano, drums, and guitar were, were and vocals, of course, were my thing music was your obsession how was how are you how was your schoolwork were you good at school a plus yep top of the class really yeah wow and sports too i was really into sports i was just an all-rounded like go-getter from a young age wow wow Mm. well it definitely shows in what you're doing now (laughs) it's true you know i I know what i was going to say we brought up the presbyterian thing and i I, what i what i I remember I went to a Catholic school till about grade eight, but I remember seeing the kids. I was I went to a, a school called Canadian Martyrs, and you could see down the laneway all the kids would be walking up to Greenwood School, which was you know the, you know the the, the school public school, and I remember it's weird how this sort of mentality you know I churches can be so bad for this because I remember us kids looking at the at at the kids walking up to the public school and, and thinking oh those are the kids that are going to go to hell <laughs> there's a lot of them Be- yeah, no because they're not catholic yeah you know like wow. how how awful how, like you oh, even have wow. that thought you know um i guess that's probably why i am the way i'm now but meanwhile anyway. you guys were making out behind the bushes and uh, doing <laughs> all sorts of bad sins <laughs> oh yeah well the, the one thing i learned about the catholic religion is that the rules are there to be broken i don't think right. i know i don't know anybody in the catholic church unless they're really really hardcore and that there's very few of those that actually follow the the, the rules the rules are there just to as rules they're not they're not meant to be kept i think <laughs> Yeah. You know something, I kind of always look at life that way a little bit until I realize that sometimes rules are very important and there's some rules that we must follow or 
destruction will happen. So I was always a rule breaker until I realized that, you know, if everybody is a rule breaker, how are we ever going to have society and how are we, how are we ever going to have flow? So I you, try to just, you can't have anarchy. That's for sure. Anarchy doesn't work no matter how there's people out there that believe they want anarchy. But I think if, if they had true anarchy, they'd want, they want structure back very quickly. Yeah. I'm a structure person. I realized. Mm, you probably. Uh, so when you get up in the morning, you, you, you have your things, even now you probably get up early in the morning and you do your things. You walk your dogs, you put all those sort of things. Yep. You have two dogs or three? I have two dogs, but we also have a third dog that we're that pretty much lives here as well. So we have we have a medium, a <laughs> small, medium, from? large. Well, he's our. Uh, her name is Bambi, and she's one of our friends' dogs. And uh, our, we have a, another another property here as well. Um, we have like a cottage on our property, so that's where they live. And oh, Bambi. Bambi and Carolina are best friends, so they go uh, everywhere together. And then we have Braun. He's an older boy, and, and he's seven. And he's a big boy, but he uh, he runs the roost, really. Yeah, we like to. I walk them every day, and it's when I'm home. It's one of my favorite things to do. Well, you live on Pender. Yeah. Yeah. I've never been there, but it looks like such a beautiful place. But what – because you're from Ontario, I'm mm -hmm. sort of could be skipping all over the place here, but I just, uh, what made you move to Pender Island from Ontario? What what was that all about? Oh man. Like sometimes, you know, you just go with the flow. That's what happened here. Like we, Leslie and I got an opportunity to run someone's Airbnb, a friend of ours, Airbnb in Stuke during the pandemic. And we thought, you know, we've always wanted to move West. Why not? Why not give it a shot? I, I knew I had to sort of restart my band anyway. During the pandemic, you know, a couple one of the band members had had uh, had decided he didn't want to tour anymore, and I thought, you know, this is a good time to just restart things. I've always wanted to live out west. I was going to wait till retirement, but why not? So uh, we moved to Souk. We ran this Airbnb while the pandemic had everything shut down. I did a lot of recording in that house. So you, we you were moved there. to Souk what year? Twenty twenty. Uh, yes. 2020. So it yep. wasn't all that long after that, that me and you touched base. That's right. So while I was in Souk, I was there for three months and we, Leslie and I came over to Pender Island just on a, on a vacation, like a, a weekend retreat. And we bought our house here. It's the moment we stepped foot on this Island. I said, this is home. There's something here. I don't know why we moved here, but this is, we're here. And no, no regrets. No regrets. Yeah. No, well, it looks beautiful. It, I mean, I see I see pictures and videos all the time, you know, and it looks it looks wonderful. Maybe Kelly and I'll have to head over there one day and see what it's all about. It's a gorgeous place. Um, you know, it's a bit of a you get used to the the pains in the butt traveling. You know that it's fairy life, fairies for everything. Um, but that's sort of the charm of it as well. I enjoy slowing down, mm -hmm. just waiting. Are you guys off grid at all? Um, no, we tried that before we got here. We, uh, we were working on a school bus. We were, we were demoing a school bus. We were making a tiny home and we had everything demoed. We had worked very hard on it for a couple months and we realized that that wasn't really for us. <laughs> like, I, I, I guess what I meant by off grid is, are you using any sort of alternative energy? Yeah, no, no, yeah. Okay. no, we, we, we like the, the actual power and lights and stuff <laughs> well i found out a few months back that a, a neighbor two houses over sells um he sells solar shingles 
their houses. That is cool. Like I, we really want to, but you know, we're newly here and we've had to invest in other things. Like we put heat oh. pumps in all of our buildings. Um, so three different heat pump systems. Oh that's also God. air conditioning. So that's an energy oh. thing that we've done a change yeah. windows. Um, you know, one thing at a time. Yeah, no, no kidding. Well, heat pumps alone, <laughs> heat pumps alone are not are not inexpensive. No, that one's going to be we're going to be paying that off for a while. Yeah, I remember when I went to uh, when I went to Italy uh, with Kelly, and I remember that was the first time I'd seen heat pumps. And at the time, I thought they were kind of old fashioned looking things. Yeah, I, I didn't realize that they were actually the best of the best. I, I, yeah. I remember seeing them going, hmm, that looks kind of. That looks kind of old fashioned. That's old yeah. Europe sort of thing. Not realizing it was actually <laughs> better technology than we had, you know. Totally. Yeah. Oh, anyway, so so uh, so you've getting back to it. So you, you your dad played guitar. Your mom sang in the choir. Uh, the, she was the choir director. She she sang beautifully. Your dad sang the country. You learned how to play guitar by picking out the little uh, chord symbols in your piano books. Yeah. And and basically, and watching your dad, I'm sure. And mm-hmm. and and then he taught and, me three chords. He taught me C F G. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's interesting. My 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 brother Kenny was already playing guitar. He he had a, a guitar that he bought for seventeen dollars from Kmart. Um, wow. a, a K guitar. He actually helped build the Kmart in Sault Ste. Marie. Oh. Sault Ste. Marie. Oh my God! Cool <laughs> shirt. That's awesome. Yeah. So anyway, so I we. Uh, he bought the $70 K guitar. He learned how to play, et cetera, et cetera. But I remember one day he was playing that song by the Trogs. Uh, I feel it in my fingers. I feel it in my toes. You know, love is all around. And he was playing playing this song and I'm watching him. And he left the house. So I put my fingers where his fingers were. And I and the only chord I couldn't figure out was the E minor. For some reason, the E <laughs> and minor That's the stumped. easiest chord. I know, but it stumped me. And so he came oh. home and I said, I, I, can you help me with something? And I played the song. I said, who taught you that? I said you did. He said what? <laughs> so at that point, at that point, he thought I was a protege, right? So it, yeah. right away. So my second, my second song that he taught me had bar chords in it, and the strings oh on the God. guitar were like this high off the neck. I was like, Ugh, you know, but yeah, I didn't but, learn bar chords until nine years in. You know, I was so naive with guitar playing; I'd only taught myself that. You know, I was playing. Um, I had went to New Zealand on a student exchange when I was eighteen. And I was playing my guitar and a, and a string broke and I, I cried and cried. I thought, Oh my God, my guitar is done. My, career, my career's over. <laughs> and, and I didn't, I didn't know you could, you know, you're supposed to change your strings and that they are supposed to break. And so, yeah, that was like, that was new to me. That was four years in still well, here, hadn't changed the string. Here, here's an interesting story. My, my high school, Sault Ste. Marie Boating, uh, Years and years later, of course, a friend I went to school with was a teacher there, and they they had this beautiful 1973 uh, Fender Precision bass that when we were kids we used to polish it and all that stuff. We looked after, mm. it, you know. But so he he we walk into the music room. It's during it was during exam time, so the school was semi shut down. And we walk around. So he said, "You want to go to the music room?" I said, "Yeah, I'd love to." So we go to the music room, and he says, "You want to see something that'll break your heart?" And he brings me in this back room up. It's up the case, and it's ripped apart. And there's protractors through it, and holes through the body. And oh my god, it was just terrible. And I said, "Well, you know, I, I said I got an endorsement from PV. I'll, I'll get you guys a brand new PV base if you give me this one." And talked to the faculty. So they, they talked to the faculty, and they said, "Sure, he can have the base." 
and they never did ask me for the PVBs, so I got it for nothing. But I brought it back to Vancouver, and it was 1973 Jazz Precision, or Precision Bass, pardon me. Oh. And, and Dave Reimer put it back together, and he put 1973 Rotosound strings on it. Oh. And because he said those years had the best alloys. It, it, they just, it, so whenever he finds them coming through a shop, he sort of saves them for his muso friends, right? So like this wow. Is, so anyway, so that bass has been, I've had it since 2004. And so it's still got 1973 Rotosound strings on it. And, and you say, you talk about breaking a string and your career's over. That bass sounds incredible. I generally only use it in the studio. I've used, only use it for a handful of gigs live because I want to sort of, I sort of, you know, it it means something to me. Yeah. And plus, if I break a string, <laughs> you know, I'll lose my sound. <laughs> oh my god, that's so crazy! I know, but it but it's wonderful. It, it's got all the round sound without that wow. annoying that annoying oink that new strings can have. You know. Mm, yeah, I'm not a big fan of new strings myself. Yeah. And you know, as a as a full time musician, I probably use less gear than most musicians in the world. I don't know. I'm not a gear person. I'm very like I even buy cheap stuff. Like I don't care about my gear. It's I, I care about it. I have good basic gear, but I don't go crazy about what kind of strings I'm going to put on or whatever. Like if I get given a pack of strings, I'm like, that's the best kind of strings, <laughs> free. You know. Well, I hear you. I went into Long McQuaid. I had to change some strings. Well, when I was working on your album, I just changed some strings on my guitar, and I said, "What do you got?" He says, "Well, you want to get what we put on our guitars?" I said, "Yep." And he gave me, it was like the cheapest acoustic strings. That's what they put on the guitars. That's what every, when it, people go to Long McQuaid, at least Long McQuaid near my home, they're not playing like, you know, these $20, $25 acoustic strings on a Martin. They're they're using the indoor, the in-store strings that are like $7.99 a package. You know? Yeah, perfect. Yeah. I mean, why strings are strings. Uh, when I remember I worked in a music store for a small period of time, and I found out that almost all string manufacturers all, almost all strings are made by three manufacturers in the world. Makes sense. Yeah, it all comes me. out of the same factories, you know. So yeah, do you ever buy those ones that come in bulk? Like you can get the E string, and you can get the A string, and they they're just like in a big pile of bulk strings. Well, I just they're had the... to buy. It's funny you mentioned that. I just had to buy uh, three. Oh my gosh, I got a I got a notification on my screen behind me. Look at that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I um. Oh, I know why too. I'm. I was going to say. Um, I just I had three sets of strings and I and I'd gone through the tens, the lightest string. So I had to go buy three bulk strings to make it up. It was the yeah. first time I bought like bulk strings in a while. When you when did you start performing with your guitar, let's say by yourself or with a band or that sort of thing? How old were you would you have been? I did lots of performances from the age of five on. Um with in, the guitar. No, in church oh. and theaters and, and in drumming in my school and everything like that. But when I finally, when I went to New Zealand, when I was on that student exchange, I was when, like... When, when you were 18, you said? Yeah, 17, right. 18. Um, before I went there, I I made my own original tape. I made six songs. I have those songs, by the way. I just listened to them. They are... I sound like a chipmunk. My voice is so high. Anyway... Um, I made six songs and I sold enough tapes at this concert to pay for my way on the student exchange. I sold a thousand tapes like over the, the, the while of me fundraising and trying to get these tapes out there. A thousand tapes. Wow. I know. 
That's crazy. And, anyway, and, so and you just recorded them at home or what? No, I went into a full-on studio in Shelburne, which listening back, like it's really a funny recording. You have to hear it. It's it doesn't sound professional at all. But it for the time, like that was like I was so nervous. Oh. I remember being being in the studio with this actual real producer and singing my songs and strumming and you know, I think he tried to put me to a click track, which was not happening. And I just played and sang and listening back, you can feel my, the emotion of my voice. It almost makes me cry listening to it. It's so, there's so, one of the songs is called Jesus Wept. Another another song is called You Came Back to Me. And that was a song I wrote because I broke up with my boyfriend. And then right away, I took it back. I said, no, no I know I want you to come back. And he said, no. It took courage to ask you back out to come in my life once again. I never knew that I'd hurt you so bad I never knew the pain I'd put you in and so that song was like just yearning for my boyfriend to come back to me and uh, he never did but um but anyway yeah so that that was like my first time and then in New Zealand I started performing a lot for people I started performing a lot and getting some really positive feedback and Encouragement. Like performing, performing where? Like at parties or at, yeah, parties and like never, li never like li living room concert type of things. Yep, just like little parties, garage parties, little outdoor bonfires, that kind of thing. I was still pretty, pretty old for just starting mm -hmm. to get out there with my music. And then um, when I, I was in the military right out of high school, and uh, I was the, with the military. Yeah. Oh, yeah. tell me that part. Well, I went to Royal Military College, which is the university um, in Canada. Um, they pay your way. They give you a diploma for free. You just have to be in the military. <laughs> so right. I thought, though, this is pretty cool. You get paid to go to university. Right. And I really enjoyed that whole idea. And um, on top of that, they, they really go for well-rounded people like they want you to be in sports and they want you to be able to have a job and they want you to be able to have good grades and well you you you, ch you, you know? checked all the boxes yeah and i and i had just seen gi jane and i was like man i'm in like this is my life you didn't shave your head did you <laughs> well i did later i'll tell you about that too but oh you did um, oh wow. la later after mm -hmm. the military i i had a i went mo hockey oh did you? complete complete shaves shave sides of the head anyway so while i was in the military um my i was also dating this gentleman and he had a band and i kind of worked my way in there a little bit and started singing with him and playing with him so he was the lead singer and i was uh just his bitch really <laughs> and as we were playing like i hate to say this but people started saying why why don't you get sarah to sing more you know, we want we want to hear her more, and it started to sort of 
become become a parent that they wanted to hear more of my voice. So then we changed our direction and I married this gentleman and we became um, a band called um, Big on Venus. And that was with Bill Durst on guitar. You know Bill Durst? No, I don't. Do you remember Thundermug? Yeah, of course. Bill Durst is the lead singer and songwriter of Thundermug. Oh, see, I never knew the members. Big, I, I remember Thundermug coming through Sault Ste. Marie when I was a kid. Yeah. So Bill Bill was like, you know, an older gentleman, and, and but really great songwriter. And he took me under his wing. And we built this band up together with my husband at the time and him and a, a drummer. And uh, we started playing music. And this was actually, uh, just to go back, my officer in the military he told me after my first year in, he said, hey, you really should just do some music. You should get out while you can and do music. And I did. He said that. He said that. So he so he was a fan or he saw where your heart actually lied or both? He saw that my heart was sensitive and that he heard me playing. Like I, I had my guitar with me in my room. And in order to have it in my room, I had to lay it out for inspection every day, the same as I would my underwear and my uniform. You know, I had to I had to lay it out there. Um, so he saw my dedication to having my guitar there. And every spare minute I had, I would be playing guitar and singing. And he just, he was the one. I don't even know his name. I don't remember what he looked like. But he was that angel that said, hey, you should quit now while you can do music. Now, were you, were you able to get your diploma? No, I quit after the first year. So after the first year, you have an out. It's like if you quit now, you don't have to pay any money back. Um, and you can get out for free. If you continue after your first year, and then if you quit during those years, you have to pay, repay your your uh, tuition back. So it was sort of like the in-between phase. I was like, do I stay or do I go? And uh, it was apparent that I wasn't meant to be there. And as soon the, the, the day I got out, I started the band with my husband at the time and with Bill, and we just started doing three-part harmonies, writing music, I have all those old recordings too. So, I mean, it's just, it's so the thing is, this, this drive of yours has been apparent from the time you were a little girl. Like you were, you were, you were, in, you were born with this. Yeah. Yeah. There's no two ways about it. I mean, yeah. that's and so, and your, your parents were obviously driven people as well. It would seem. Yeah, more more on a small scale. Like they were just family people, very family oriented. Um, but you know, my mom had us in all sorts of activities, and she would be driving us all over the place. Four kids, full time job, and also activities on the side. She was the choir director, and she also put on operettas with the kids in the church, and. My dad was like, you know, a farmer. He would get up at five in the morning, quarter to five. He would work all day at the university, come home, work at the farm. It was, yeah, very dedicated and consistent. What do your siblings do? Um, I have really great, great siblings, actually. My brother lives in Florida. He's the oldest, seven years older. And he runs his own company. He, he makes um, shade. He lives in, like, for Florida people, you know, like actual... No, sorry. He does uh, lawn furniture now, outdoor furniture. That's what he does. Oh, by shade, you meant like awnings? Yeah, he did that for a long time, like okay. awnings in parks and stuff. But now he's doing um, 
patio furniture and industrial furniture for outdoors. What what is he sells it? Manufactures it both or both? His his own business with his wife. They're in it together. All right. Well, there's, cool. fam- there's there's part of the family drive again. Yep. And then so- my uh, my older sister. She's a she's an HR very high up HR with a nonprofit. And my younger sister is uh, in um, pharmaceuticals, and she's like managing a team of twenty-five or something like that. She's very successful too. Holy smoke! So, so yeah. you've got a spread of seven years, and then an older sister is what five years? Five old? years. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, and then your other sister is what two years younger? Yeah. Wow, that's quite a handful. But it, yeah. yeah, I have to hand it to your parents, though. You obviously come from really good stock. You know, they're, they're not like, they're very simple folk. They're simple people, but they really taught us what love was. You know, we might not have learned not, I didn't even know you could do music as a career. Like we didn't learn culture, art. We didn't know any of that stuff. We just learned about love. Mm. They were great parents. Yeah. Well, what a nice thing to hear. That's Mm. fantastic. Okay. So let's, let's, let's move on. That's, man, that's a really good story, sir. (laughs) Really, it was fantastic. So when you're, so you started as soon as you got out of the military college, you started band with your then husband, oh. and uh, and what was his name from Thundermug? Bill Durst. And Bill Durst. And so you start that, and so and you started playing almost immediately. You were writing, recording, that sort of thing. Right away. Yep. Right away. We were we were we released a little album. I think it had six songs on it, and then you know Bill was like. I was so eager, right? I wanted to make a living with music. So I was booking us up like five nights a week. Right. You know, I was just, I went nuts with booking shows. And he was like, you know what, guys, like you're, you're really young and eager and I just don't want to do this like this. So we started our own band called Pop Joy. And Pop Joy was, uh, we did cover songs of 80s songs and we put four on the floor beats to everything, four on the floor just fun, high energy. I, I got this massive mohawk and we just jumped up and down and did these cover songs. And we released like a few albums with that. And um, uh, what, what, co- what covers would you have been doing then? Like, like uh, ACDC songs. Okay. Um, we did ACDC. We did uh, I'm your Venus. I'm your fire. What's your desire? Right. I think we're alone now. Right. Doesn't seem to be. And it would be all like Everything, harmonies. Boom, and, boom, boom. Yes. It was, it was like one long EP. Yeah. It was. Yeah. Some of the sets were just one huge medley. Well, it makes sense. I mean, that's what DJs do to keep the dance floor going. That's what we did. And that's that was what we did. So anyway, um, my husband at the time and I, we broke up and I went off on my own and continued with Pop Joy. And we started writing original music. And we it was sort of this like ska reggae type stuff, which mm-hmm. was really, really great music some of those early tunes i just love them and eventually we became a little more rock so we changed the name to the joys i feel empty i feel dead Now your voice has a real edge to it. Like I, I realize you you've just been in Germany, and you were doing you were doing a Janis Joplin part of a of a show there, right? 
Mm-hmm. But I, I, I want to get into that later. But has your voice always had that edge to it? Yeah, I think it was because when I was a kid, um, I was I was very sick. I was a sickly kid. I was allergic to milk, and that's all I pretty much drank was milk. And so I had bronchitis all the time and asthma, and I would be coughing and coughing, and I always had this sort of rasp to it. And I think I just coughed myself into a rasp. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And so I've always had this sort of raspiness. I mean, in my younger recordings, you'll hear a very pure, clear, sultry little voice, but that didn't last very long, especially in my work ethic. I just wanted to play all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember some of those ski resort gigs, Mick, when you could smoke in the pubs. Mm-hmm. So we would be there. We would play every night, three to four sets, and then matinees on the weekends. And no breaks, and it would just all be smoke everywhere. And you know, how are you ever supposed to not get raspy? Mm-hmm. I know. I used to blow right? my voice out all the time. Uh, like, I'm playing six nights a week in a smoky club, and not to mention the the uh, asbestos of it. You know, you see the, the <laughs> stage lights, and you can see things <laughs> drifting down from the from the ceiling. You know, I know. I remember breathing in all sorts of shit. And on top of that, like my band, we would be jumping up and down and working out the whole time, like just sweat pouring off us and breathing in all this cigarette. Ugh. Uh, and I smoked and I drank. Yeah. 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 yeah me, me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, it wasn't enough that I was breathing all that crap. I had to add to it. Yeah. But I, I remember that when we first got lights, professional lights in my band Shama, and I remember looking over at Jeff Neal while he was singing and I could see smoke coming out of his mouth while he was singing. <laughs> And, you know, it's like it, it was the you wouldn't see that until you got like a you know a, a, a thousand watt par light, and all of a sudden you don't you realize, oh my god, this place is full of cigarette smoke, and we're breathing it I in. I know. Don't you miss par lights? I loved sweating. I used to <laughs> love just getting so hot and drenched in sweat. Like that was like yeah. my favorite thing because yeah. I felt like I was working out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it certainly made a difference in my life. It kept me slimmer and trimmer. That's for sure. <laughs> Uh, but, but yeah, but I don't, I don't, um, I don't miss moving those things around. It's like nowadays, yeah. nowadays you can get a PA system that'll fit into the back of an SUV that really is better and more efficient than these great big Alltech A7 cabinets and, you know, 20, 30, uh, 2560 JBL stuff and all that. God, the stuff mm. we used to, we used to have to have, have to have a five ton truck to move stuff around that you could literally you could get the same sound and look now putting in the back of an SUV. Jeez. <laughs> Almost, you know, not quite, wow. but, you know, um, but anyway, so now this was all in Ontario. Yeah, but we got onto the university circuit. So um, with pop joy and the joys, we got to travel around Canada and playing all the universities and colleges. Okay. How did you get into the university circuit? Uh, Coca. The uh, it's a, it's a showcase of all the universities and colleges. Um, they they all bring out their representatives, um, and they do a showcase every so, year. So, so you went out, and you, so you went out, and you, and you auditioned essentially, and uh, yes, and they say, okay, we like that band, we're going to hire them. Yeah, right. And they do things. I've never done one of those, but I, I've heard that they've been. They're, they're, I think they have probably two or three a year out in the Vancouver area for buyers and stuff. I think so. Yeah, sometimes it works out. I mean it's it's a tough game being a, a full-time musician because you need to make a career you need to make a living but then you also need to invest in your career and 
pay into things. Mm -hmm. So it's a balancing act of what do I put my money towards and what will it bring back for me? Yeah. What do, can do I, I make do I from buy, it? Do I buy a hard drive or do I buy groceries? Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Essentially. Wow. That's incredible. So uh, now, uh, when did you branch out? Like how long did the band last before you became more or less? I mean, you all, you've always had a band, but you all, you, I, I look at you as a solo artist more than having a band. If you have a band, it's basically sidemen with your, you know, it's a Sarah Smith band. Right. So, so the, the joys, the joys went for 10 years and we were done in 2011. Mm -hmm. um, and we really just were going to take a break because honestly, we had gotten into the partying and we were all just, our lives were starting to crumble and we were just, like we had worked so much we were on the road all the time and our relationships were failing and you know our souls were dying and we thought we better take a break mm -hmm. so we took a break and in the meantime I had been playing this Wednesday night gig in Brantford every Wednesday it ended up going on for nine years but I think I had been playing it for about two or three years at that point I never missed a Wednesday every Wednesday I would be playing this gig and I was starting to get my own solo fan base going. And so I recorded a little solo live album off that stage uh, right away with some, like, I think, 14 original songs. And it took off. People loved it. So I thought, well, maybe I'll just keep going as a solo artist. It was the scariest moment of my life. I didn't think I could move along without my band. Um, but as a solo artist, I did me and a drummer. It was, it was a, always a duo just me on acoustic, bassy sort of acoustic. With a, I always mix the drums really bassy too. So we had like this nice warm bassy duo. And then uh, eventually uh, I met uh, producer Kevin Doyle. And Kevin took me under his wing and he said, let's, let's get you an album. And we applied for a grant and we got a grant. And he, he helped me, you know, he sent me to LA to do some songwriting with some people and he got me my first real full-length solo album. And from there, I put a band together and traveled with the band for forever after that. <laughs> so uh, how many albums have you actually put out? Um, so I did two of these uh, live albums, just solo live albums with a drummer. And then I did... Uh, um, and you just, just, you just released them off the floor, like no overdubs yeah. after or anything? No. Okay. So stronger now, the journey. Um, Eleven, Christmas, unveiling, and then I did like a COVID album, and I did another live album, and then I did uh, this this new album come together. Right. So like ten, about ten. Hmm. Yeah, and a bunch of singles and stuff too. Yeah. Oh, and the Sarah Smith and the Lon the Lo lovers of London. That was my COVID. One of my COVID projects as well. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. And and uh, so uh, there's just so much to talk about. How do, like how did you end up working overseas? <laughs> That's a funny story too. Because you, 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 you got a pretty good following over in Europe. I I have an awesome bunch of people that I've met over there that have become family. Like one of the couples is staying in my cottage right now, actually. Um, they came from Germany for a visit and we've been showing them around Pender Island and I've been able to, we've been able to welcome a lot of Germans over here actually 
and some Netherlands people too. Anyway, um, so how that happened was London, Ontario, it's a small city. It's 400,000 people. And I was becoming sort of a household name in London um, for just working so hard and playing all the shows I did. And word got out to the Stewarts, uh, Kenny and Ian Stewart and Colin Stewart. They were three brothers from London, Ontario. And two of the brothers, Kenny and Ian, they moved to Europe 20 years ago to do, like, Kenny played drums in Cats and Ian played bass in Starlight. So they were doing theater musician stuff. And Kenny just kept hearing about this, Sarah Smith, Sarah Smith, Sarah Smith. And he wrote me and he said, uh, hey, you know, I think it's time that you, you come to Europe. He said, I think I, th I really think that we could do something here with you. Pretty cool, eh? Okay. So he sent my song, uh, one of my songs, Into the Light. He sent that to Pat Anthony, who was a producer in Germany. And Pat liked what he heard, and he invited me to come work with him. So... They well, flew was, I was going to ask you how you got to work with Pat. So there you go. Okay, yeah. perfect. So it all so parlays. That, it all parlays into the same story. That's good. Yeah. So that was 2013, pretty long time ago. So he flew me into Germany, and he kind of put me in front of the microphone, and he gave me this song, and it was already written, and this melody, and he was like, "Okay, sing this," and I was like, "I'm going home." <laughs> he said, well, "What do you mean? I, I, I sing said, what I want." Yeah, I said, no, I'm not here to be Britney Spears. I'm here to be my own original music. And Pat was like, oh, okay, great. We can just, let's write an album. So we wrote an album together. And uh, from there, you know, every year I would go and we would do more writing. We would tour as a duo. And then eventually I was Oh, so able... Pat's actually played with you as well? Yep. Oh, okay. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Okay. And then eventually, Pat was like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> the way I work, it's it's just a lot. And he's like, you know, I, I got to, you know, I got to do my own thing. And so I said, well, I think it's time I bring my band from Canada. So I was able to start bringing my band from Canada about five times now. So there's bodies strewn behind you everywhere, isn't there? <laughs> 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 it's like the, this tour de force that is Sarah Smith and all, all these people just exhausted, falling off the wagon. Oh, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> well, there's certain ways that of the lifestyle that I've I've realized I have to live a certain lifestyle in order to keep up this pace. And if people don't live the lifestyle, um, they probably won't, won't keep up. And your lifestyle is. Let's get into that. Well, for me, um, it's uh, sobriety and um, clean and healthy eating and exercise and just like really treating my body like a temple. Mm. And yeah, I find that if, if I put substance in there, it just slows me down. Is that a, is that a direct result of all the, the 11 years of touring where you guys were just imbibing a lot? Yeah. I mean, that was like such a fun lifestyle like that. We had so much fun. We partied our way through Canada. It was a blast. Until it wasn't, until it became, for me, I can't speak for anybody else in the band, but for me, it became an addiction. And I was addicted to the uh, adrenaline, and I was addicted to the the drugs, and I was addicted to the alcohol and the party, and I was addicted to it all. And I was slowly inside, just like dying. I was just becoming a shell. You know, in order to get up in the, in the morning, I would have to use 
in order to go to bed, I would have to use. In order wow. to get on stage, I would have to use. In order to, you know, have a bowel movement, I would have to use. Like everything. You are like you're like Elvis. Did did you did you have to uh, did you have to go through treatment? I didn't go through treatment because when I first started playing music with Bill Durst, um, he was sober, and he told me, "If you want to do music full time, you have to be sober." And so in the beginning, I was sober for seven years and I didn't do anything. I was sober and I lived a clean life and I was really happy doing that. But so I had this, this, this base that I'd already done. Um, I was in a recovery program those seven years and I was learning all about recovery and. Um, well, back, are you talking about back in the beginning of your career? Yes. Yes. Well, why would you go through a recovery program when you don't have an addiction? I back then I, you didn't. I would say I did. I was a I was a party girl, you know, drinker, and I would say that it was a mild addiction at that point, but it was probably an addiction. No, oh. and, and Bill, so he sort of Bill kept you in check. Yeah, and I went through the recovery program AA, and I did it, and uh, I did it like went to meetings and stuff like that all the time through those full seven years. So I had that base. So. After 10 years of partying and trying to get clean and sober, that whole time, I finally made the decision, finally, like, I've had enough, I've hit my bottom, and I'm going to just do this. And I quit everything on the same day. I quit smoking, drugs, drinking. I quit sex, even, because it was an issue as well. And I, and I also quit meat, and I just said, fuck this, I'm done with it. So you're a vegetarian? I plant based, yeah, as much as I can, like even vegan, yeah. Interesting. So, uh, what's going to say? Uh, I'm also crazy, <laughs> as you can see. <laughs> no, I no, I certainly don't think that. Um, <laughs> uh, um, that's that's interesting. So you were able to take what you'd learned those previous seven years, you parted your face off, then use what you learned to just say, okay, I've had enough, and you became mm -hmm. your own counselor. Yep. And I went to recovery programs and I went through the program. Actually, I really took it seriously for the first couple of years. I really dug in. And, and this, was, this was back in Ontario? Yeah. I became a really big part of the recovery community. Oh, so, oh, so you did do that. And that was after your 11 years of debauchery? Yeah. Okay. And also, like, the, the, the moment that I decided I'd hit my bottom, it was a very pivotal moment for me because it was a CD release party. I was on the stage and I was fucked up. And I remember I was looking out in the audience and I could feel that they were looking through me and that all my vulnerable, you know, when you're on stage, you're so vulnerable, like people can judge you. And I was judging myself. I was like, what the fuck am I singing right now? What is coming out of my voice? It is not really authentic. I'm not the person I've, I'm portraying myself to be. And I just felt like a fraud. And, and then after that, that um, night, they were having a party for me at my friend's house, like a celebration party. And I spent the first three hours in the van doing drugs, like by myself. I I was just like completely holed up in the car. And that was where I just looked at myself and I said, if I want to continue doing this career, then this is it. This is the moment. I either choose to, to clean up my life or I choose destruction. And obviously, no regrets because your career's only gone up from there. Yeah, I mean, you're you're in total control. 
I, to be honest, I really love the life of sobriety. It's not boring. It's not, it took a while for me to love it. It was shitty at first, but I really love it. I'm so grateful. How long did you figure it felt shitty, as you say? It was a, this time around, it took me a while to feel normal. Really, it like over a year. Mm-hmm. Like even like, even sometimes up to like four years for, for my dopamine levels to clear up again and to be able to be happy again. And it's it's not an easy process. It's not, it's not long, easy. How long have you been sober now? Uh, it's going on seven years. It's it's not a lot, but um, it's it's very... I worked really hard this time to to really truly find the problems and get through them and and find happiness. Well, I've been there in support of someone for for meetings uh, NA and AA, and it's quite surprising how um, the one day at a time still mm-hmm. uh, still strikes people after twenty four years. Um, I mean, even me, like Mick, like if I'm on a holiday or something, it's very tempting. To think, uh, just have a glass of wine with dinner. So there's always that one day at a time for me because it still enters my brain. A you friend know? of mine, uh, um, he he actually just made a comment the other day about this same story that he told me probably 15 years ago, and it mm-hmm. was about a friend of his that he uh, hung out with, and then this guy got into real estate and stuff, and he became he became quite uh, quite a drug addict and you know, al- alcoholic and this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And of course, and he sobered up. And what my friend was saying is like, it's like every time I see him, every time I talk to him, he goes, well, one day at a time. And he goes, come on, when's, it, when's this going to be over one day at a time? What kind of crap is this? I went, I went really? You know, it, it is actually one day at a time for people for the rest of their lives. That's, That's that- the unfortunate thing I had to realize. Mm-hmm. It sucks. Well, it is and it isn't. I mean... Uh, it, it becomes your your new. Um, it becomes your Buddha. It becomes your religion. It mm. becomes you know. So really, it's a it's a daily affirmation. If you look at it that simply, it's really mm. not this cross you're carrying so much as a commitment you've made. So, right. You know, and also, it does it does get way easier. There's many 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 months years that I I never think about it, and I'm just like living a pretty gracious life. Yeah. Really. Um, but there is the odd day where I'm like, oh, I got to check myself in again. Like I got to check into the into the ways of the program because I'm feeling tempted or whatever. But I know that I can't just have a glass of wine. Like I know that because I did that for so many years. I tried to just have a glass of wine or I would try to have a couple of drinks at a party or whatever. But eventually it just snowballs into destruction. So. Well, it's like when my, when my, my first wife was... Uh pregnant with my son Carmen I quit smoking and it was like gosh I, probably eight years later I'd say yeah about eight years later and somebody had a cigarette I said hey let me try one of those mm-hmm. and I so I, I had that and first I just had a puff then I had a cigarette and within two weeks I was buying smokes within yeah. two weeks I was smoking again and then it took me until gosh that was like it was probably let's see, it was about another thirteen years before I could finally quit again. Wow! But when I quit, wow. you know, it's amazing what you can do with your brain. And I, I quit smoking, and within within two weeks of quitting smoking, it was like I'd never smoked. 
never had a never had a craving never thought about it again but i realized in retrospect what i had done it i every time i would light up a cigarette i would always look at it and go hmm that's a dried up leaf wrapped in paper i'm I'm sitting on fire and sucking the smoke into my lungs what part of this is good you know i was sort of analyzing it logically yeah and, and i think i sort of convinced myself and plus i don't think i was addicted i think i was habitual because mm. I, I that was back when i first got my very first studio set up and i i know i, I would forget to smoke mm. you know I, I would just i would be working for hours and hours going oh geez i haven't had a cigarette well you're more addicted to music <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe that's what it is yeah. but yet yet my first wife she passed away from lung cancer and the thing wow. is, is that she would wake up in the middle of the night to have a cigarette that's the difference right she would actually wake up to smoke. Yeah, I could go hours without it and, and I'd forget that I, I'd forget to smoke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yet when I was doing it, I'd do a pack in half a day. It was just oh, that's pretty, yeah, that's pretty a lot. Yeah. I mean, you can't compare yourself to other people's addictions. You have yeah. to be the one, you're the only one in your own voice that can tell you the truth. And if you really truly listen to your inner voice, it will tell you. You know, a lot of times people listen to the addiction. So the addiction tells you you don't have a problem. (laughs) But if we really, truly listen to that God voice inside us, it will tell us the truth. Is this helping you or is this hindering you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you just have to ask yourself the right questions. I came up Mm -hmm. with this. I came up with this thing yesterday. I think I made it up. And I was was, (laughs) really, it was, I was sort of posting. There was a post with my son and he's, he goes through challenges quite a bit in his life but uh and i was talking about how i said use your wise w-h-y-s wisely because, oh because a lot good. of people go why me right you know it, it use use your wise wisely I, they, they went, wow that that makes sense that's kind of a cool little catchphrase you know it is there's yeah. a there's this other one they say in recovery programs which i like i really like don't should on yourself. Don't what? Should on yourself. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Should have, would have, could have, eh? For yeah. sure. I should do this. I should do that. We should do this. Mm-hmm. You know, just do it or don't. Yeah. Get get off your own back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so true. <laughs> okay, let's back to back to the Sarah Smith career here. So, um, <clears throat> So now you've you've worked over in in Germany and you've gone back and forth. And so you and your husband split up and and you met Leslie in in London? I met Leslie actually in Tobago. Well, Leslie was a fan of mine um, for years. She said that she came to lots of my shows and that we had met in the past. But I never really knew Leslie at all. And I didn't recognize her or anything. And we went. Um, Pardon my ignorance. Well, where's Tobago? Uh, Trinidad and Tobago. Oh, 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 that, oh, that Tobago. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was, um, I had just finally, finally got the courage to walk um, away from my marriage, and it was very painful. But uh, it had taken me lots of years to gain the courage to do so. You know, um, should I stay or should I go? It was, a, it was a rough. Th- this is the rough. same first marriage that you had, or no. Oh. Was another marriage. Oh, okay. I was married to, for. Um, I was with uh, my partner for fourteen years. My ex partner. Okay. And um, I finally, you know, got the courage to to leave, and I stepped out of that 
marriage and I called my agent and I said, like, can you put me on a trip because I need to get out of here and just clear my head and, you know, I need to re restart. But I also walked out with love in my heart, knowing that I was ready to love again. I, I was ready. I had worked through it all within my marriage. I had worked through letting go and grieving, and I was ready to start again. Um, but I just definitely wasn't going to go in a relationship. So when I got to Tobago, uh, I found out that I had been paired up as a random roommate with this Leslie chick. <laughs> she was my roommate on the trip. <laughs> so... Ah. Yeah, we hit it off. We really just really got along. We hit it off really well. It was romantic. It was fun. We had a great time. We thought maybe it would just be a little fling that we had. Um, and then we ended up enjoying each other's company. And we just never, we couldn't be without each other. Right. So, now, and, from, and, yeah. and to clarify, what, what does Leslie do for a living? She is a commercial banker. Yeah. And so... With commercial banking, she's able to do that on Pender? Right. Yeah, she works remotely. She's just uh, recently gotten um, a promotion where now she goes into work a couple days a week. She goes into town. And I think into, that's good. In, in, into town, you mean Victoria? Sydney. Sydney. Okay. Sydney. Yeah, I think it's really good um, for her. I think she seems to be happy to get out of the house again and face-to-face -face with people, even though it's a pain in the butt to get off this island. Um, you know, it's it's nice, I think, for her to be around people again. And plus, you know, on top of that, she also follows me everywhere and does all my merchandise for me at all my shows. And she drives me and she helps me and she feeds me. And she is like my personal assistant and my sweetheart and support system. And she's a real go-getter. She's a go-getter like I am. It works <laughs> out pretty good. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I really liked Leslie when I met her. You know, I, I thought, and, that, I, and really, I think... Is that the only time we've all been in the same room together? Yeah, I think it's so. Only been once. Yeah, it's only yeah. Been once. It's weird because, you know, for people that don't know, Sarah and I worked, uh, half of her album was done out of Germany, this latest album, Come Together, and the other half we did here, essentially. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, Sarah's tracks were all done remotely. <clears throat> like you'd go into a Isn't that crazy? Well, it, but but it was it was easy for me because you police yourself so well, and you would send me like three vocal tracks and say, "Okay, these are the ones I'm sending you, but this is the one I like, right? You know, and, or this is the one you should probably use." Which is which is great. It it certainly makes my job easier. Um, and and the times that I tried to slip in a different one, you called me on it. So <laughs> I know, I know, I know my performances quite well. I have a good memory for what I fucked up on on each track. Yeah, I like, know could, it's pretty could, funny. Could you? Did you have to do a lot of um, vocal um, comps, or did you just mostly take yeah. like the full? I, I usually would take just a full thing. I wow. think I used I think I used comps in maybe three sections, and it was just areas where there was maybe a a. a a syllable crossover that sounded funny and you know just it was yeah it was it was it was simple as pie doing doing your stuff i mean you you always delivered me like we uh, uh we could explain what's your story and how you and i first started working together what's your side of that story um well i think that um i mean how didn't did you, it start didn't like, you didn't you solicit okay i'm gonna i'm gonna spark your memory didn't you solicit to your fan base saying if anybody out there has lyrics that they would like put to music 
Right. Then please, yeah, like during the pandemic, I needed work. And I just, I thought, you know, this would be really cool to take people's lyrics and, and I can do the music portion of it. So give me your lyrics. I will write you a song with those lyrics. That was a job I did. I did it for 200 bucks during the pandemic. Cheap, cheap, cheap. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people got these little demos from me with their music. But this one friend in particular, Brad Hawks, mm-hmm. he had sent me these these lyrics for Meet Me at the Crossroads. And we ended up writing such a good song that Brad decided to invest a little more. And he hired you mm-hmm. to produce the song. Mm-hmm. to fully produce it. So I sent you my guitar tracks and my vocals. Mm-hmm. And I remember Brad called me on the video. He goes, are you ready? You want to hear the song? And he, and he said, let's, let's listen to the song. So together on video, we listened to the song. Both of us were crying because it was just so good. You produced it perfectly. Everything I heard in my brain came out in your brain. Mm. Through, through your fingers. Well, I, there's definitely a synergy between the two of us because it's so funny because whenever I do something with your song, like, you know, you'd, you'd send me a song and I go, okay, like I might, I think I'm two songs, I made a chord change that I thought might be in a better, but you never objected. You never said anything about them. I love uh, the chord change. Yeah, that was so, awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, but um, I was, whenever I sent you, except for the marimba, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like the marimba. <laughs> no, you know what that was? The song was called Holiday, and I'm going, well, what re- represents a holiday? And I'm trying steel drum samples, and I'm trying marimba samples. And I'm going, let's see if this helps make it a holiday thing. And you, you wrote back and said, I love it. I'm trying to get my head around the marimba. <laughs> I did. I loved all the other stuff. But the I was like, no, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I know. And I went, yeah. I, I, I wasn't. I wasn't married to it either. I just went, you know, sort in there, see what the hell happens. <laughs> I love how that one came out, though. Holiday, yeah, that yeah, one came out really out cool. It really like did turn like out the well. Little slide I, guitar in the beginning, and I kept a little kalimba. You playing with the kalimba from your original demo. Yeah, ding, 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 ding. That was uh, done with Stuart McClellan yes. in his studio, my guitar yeah. player in my band here. He yeah. he and I got together for a day and recorded these uh, these three tunes, like kind of demos, and Stuart added a bunch of instruments, and I was really happy that you were able to use a couple of those instruments too. Oh, yeah. Well, Stuart played that guitar that guitar part that I just uh, loved uh, uh, on Angels. You know, it was bing! Like, Bing, bing, bing. Yeah, it's a, bing, it's bing, a bing, one, bing. it's a wonderful intro. There's no way I could have played it better. And it was yeah. like, I'm, this, this, I'm definitely keeping. It's a beautiful yeah. opening. It, it's, it says everything about the song right in the first bar. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a great, great part. And you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I keep meaning to write him and just say, man, thanks. You know, it was, you, you, you did a great thing. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, but um, yeah. I'm surprised that we like that we were so cohesive. Like you know, I'd send you on these tunes and you would come back some sometimes you would change the feel of the tune a little bit or mm-hmm. you know the vibe and i would have to re-sing it but i always appreciate trying new things with my songs and i you never disappointed me not once each song was superb well in all fairness you, you 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 were able to give me really solid um uh maps like your your templates were so solid. Like I remember, I think it was was a uh, was a girl, that, good girl. Yeah, it was it was good girl. I, I think because you had a little, just a rough demo, probably done on an iPhone or something. And right. and and 
when you sent it to me and I listened to it all the way through, I was st- I was sticking in my session and go sort of go through it piece by piece and look at it and analyze it and stuff. And I said, is this is this a finished track? And and, and I think that was the one where you said, yeah, I think it's finished. I went okay, and I went okay. So this is what she wants. This is what she, this is where she what she wants for a bridge and all that stuff. And then when when you re sang it, and I I said this to you before, man, I failed you. And it's because when you sang it. You actually brought down the bridge section. Uh, you, mm-hmm. brought, no, you brought you brought down the last verse, and was that was that in Good Girl? Yes, yeah. it was. And you brought it down, and yet I I had the track plow right through it, and mm-hmm. and 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 I knew you brought it down. I was listening to it, going, "She brought it down," and I don't know why I didn't do it in the first place. Because you said, "Is there any way you could bring down the third verse?" And I, I went, you know, I went, damn, like, because I'd actually thought that. And I was really ashamed of myself for not doing it. But it, but it sure turned out well. Yeah, it turned out perfectly well. Beautiful yeah. song. That one made me cry for sure. I know you said that. Yeah, I thought well, that, that that if I'm if I make you cry, I'm doing a good job, I guess. So <laughs> that's our job <laughs> in life to make people cry. <laughs> exactly. Um, so um, I, I want to ask you how. Well, here's a good question. You went to Trinidad. How does that happen? You had an agent. Did you phone up an agent and said, can I go to Trinidad? And they said, sure. And they sent you there. How does that work? (laughs) I've been very, very lucky to have met some really great people along the way, of course. Um, Don Fairbanks is one of them and Wendy Scott. Both of them were our travel agents that I've worked with that have um, put me on with, uh, you know, Caribbean shows and a week-long blues tour uh, myself and a few other artists from the area would get together and we would we would sing and play down there and we would get our fans to join us. Uh, but you're going to have to help me with this. You, you said travel agents? Are you talking about agents that book on travel shows? I'm not... They're travel agents. They're travel agents, but they, they know about these cruises that have music on them and they actually pitch you to those cruises. Well, they just created a whole package around me. So it wasn't about pitching me to the cruises. They just made it happen. They just, they would put together, like say um, the, the one cruise was a Sarah Smith cruise. And so they just, you know, there was, I think 50 of my fans and myself and we went there and we played, I played little shows once a day on different stages of the cruise. It was pretty awesome. And then another one was. Um, and it was just you, you know, performing the whole time. Yep. Me and my bass player at the time. Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah. That's, and then that's, another that's one. Impressive. Yeah. Another one. Uh, I mean, Don has taken us to Roatan, Jamaica, Trinidad, uh, Tobago, um, Mexico, Watoko. Uh, we're going, we're actually using her as our wedding this year. We're going to uh, Mayan Riviera, Mexico. So uh, last year was, where did we go? It was really nice. Planet Hollywood in Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. So she uses me. And she puts together these music packages with a couple other artists and then all our fans join us. Wow. It's pretty wow. awesome. Wow. Now that's something that there's, there's another person that's creating, creating things that don't exist. Exactly. And she makes a living doing it as well. Wow. That's yeah. absolutely fantastic. Which brings me to this shortly after I started working with you, shortly after we did uh, meet me at the crossroads, I heard that you were doing this this Melissa Etheridge boat tour. How did that come about? About uh, like was you were voted like that, a fan a fan favorite thing, or how did that work? A pure luck thing where votes actually worked. 
Because, you know, I think that you and I both know a lot of things are, are already in place before people vote. They just use people's votings to get more traffic to their websites or whatever, right? So I never expect to win anything that's voting related. I don't. I expect to lose. And if I win, I'm freaking blown away. So this Melissa Etheridge thing, I mean, I do manifest success. So I do always picture myself winning. But I also let myself know that it's not, sometimes it's a setup. <laughs> the wins are set up. They just really are. Well, so with this Melissa Etheridge thing, it was like a voting situation. And all my fans got on board. They all voted, which they had done before. We had this, we had a whole project going called um, Sarah on Ellen. And we had a hashtag Sarah on Ellen. And we had everybody had sent in these videos and we're hashtagging Sarah on Ellen. I swear there was a hundred videos of people saying that they wanted me on Ellen and they did this professional video for her and all this stuff. And I never got on Ellen. Mm -hmm. And so the fans were a little bit disjointed. And I think this gave them an opportunity to, this is something else that's really big that we could really win. And they all went for it. They voted me on and I won. Mm -hmm. I got on the Melissa Etheridge cruise. Wow. It, was, it was incredible. My 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 daughter before she she passed away. She was she was down in L.A. and uh, it was just after Ellen came out on her show. Oh, one sec, and, we have some dogs here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, we're good. And, and it was just after Ellen came out on her show. Uh, mm -hmm. Now my 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 daughter wasn't gay, but she um, <clears throat> she was at this restaurant, and she was standing waiting for a bathroom. And who and who stand, who pulls up beside her is Ellen DeGeneres, and she's waiting for the bathroom too. And they start. Wow. And my daughter just looks at her. She goes, "You rock, you know that." Oh <laughs> and, wow! And and so Ellen, she said Ellen was amazing. She said she started making jokes about the bathroom and all that stuff. And she said my she said my daughter said I was laughing hysterically. And and <laughs> you know she was just she was a, such a nice person. You know that's awesome. Yeah, it was really wow. cool. Anyway, that's my that's my Ellen story, <laughs> but yeah. So, uh, so what was that boat cruise like? Did you did it give you a leg up on anything? You think? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I met a couple of really great new people in my life that have become fans of my music and also friends. Um, I got to uh, hang out with one of the other artists that won that that cruise opportunity too. Her name was Christy Linnae. She actually spent some time here on Pender with us. Oh, good. Um, and we also, uh, we went camping um, at the Gorge Amphitheater a couple weeks ago. We saw Brandy Carlisle and Joni Mitchell. Yeah, I, I saw your post on Facebook. You really loved that show, didn't you? Oh, life-changing. Really? But but the, those people that we camped with were people we met on the cruise. Mm. And then we also got to meet another couple at the show that we met on the cruise as well. Um, Leslie, it was like she was on fire, man. Like when I'm performing, I don't know about you, Mick, but when I'm on, on the road, I'm pretty a bit lame. I do my shows. I, I connect with everybody. I chat. I sell some CDs. I go to bed. Like that's, that's my daily routine. Mm -hmm. Um, Leslie, on the other hand, she was up for the, up for the evenings. So she would be mingling with everybody and having some drinks with everybody and getting to know everybody. And it was because of her. I think that we had such a great turnout on my shows. Well, she's your representative was, essentially. She is. <laughs> which could be good and could be bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's she's wonderful, but she's a social butterfly. So it's good. Yeah. Well, let's see. You need that. Um, uh, I know that I, I'm not. 
the type of person that can walk and my wife says this isn't true but i, I see myself as a person that i can't walk into a, a situation and start a conversation uh about uh, uh you know like that that promotes me mm-hmm. um uh the drummer in my band mark lafrance is fantastic at that he can start he can start talking about everything he's doing under the sun and make it interesting for people immediately oh i don't like doing it i hate being a self-promoter i hate it i yeah, hate no, it with it, a vengeance it's hard we, we, we all have to do it you know we're all, i mean in a way we're both doing it right now of course but um I, w- uh, I would prefer to like when i when i talk to people i prefer asking them what they're about you know like what yeah. is your what is your story? Tell me. And I like to learn from other people. And the conversation always gets turned around to me. And I don't like that. I I know it's partly partly because I've lived a life as an artist, and a lot of people are curious about that lifestyle. But I just want I just want everybody else to be to tell me what I get enough attention. You know, I want to hear what you're all about. I really really identify with that. I really do I, because that's that's that my mo as well. And, oh. and here's a, here's an offshoot of that. How many times have we seen incredibly rich, successful people saying they would drop everything to do what we do for a living? Yeah. Huh. I don't and know if they would, though. I, I, I don't know go, if they would. I, I, no, they would, they would want their life back within a week. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's a lot, it's a lot, of, hard. It's a lot of sacrifice uh, doing art as a living. But in the other way, like I've said this a few times recently, I mean, I love what I do to the fact, to the point where it's hard, it's hard not to become addicted to what I do. I love it so much. And it's hard to have a balance. Like as our partners, I'm sure our partners have a hard time being with us. It's just, oh, we're so Kel- obsessed. Well, Kelly, Kelly worked in the medical field. Her whole life was one big structure. She's never been able right. to figure out like, you know, that I don't know what I'm going to make next week, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god no kidding and try getting groceries for the week try yeah. getting like that's hard too because you never know where you're gonna, like we get free food that's one perk of our life right we get yeah. free food so whenever trying to when there's, organize... a, when there's a buffet man we're the first people in line <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> well that's... this I, well this not working for a, a living is a lot of work yeah. <laughs> it's true it, it, it really is. is yeah it is an incredible sacrifice and you never really know what's going to happen next and most people can't do that they just can't you know um like i mean real estate people do that they don't know where their next check's going to come from i mean i think for us i'm sorry we have had to put our trust in the universe Mm -hmm. and i always tell people this that are that have quit their job uh, their structured job and they're doing art i always will say and it's it is the truth it's never let me down. If you're doing a, a life of art, you will always be taken care of. Mm. You will always have a roof over your head and food in your stomach. And if you don't, if you ask for help, you will get it. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. People have always asked me, so what are you going to do when you retire? I said, well, people retire to do what they want. I already do what I want. <laughs> exactly. Why would I retire? That's That seems like, that just seems like a death you know, a death bell to me. I mean, I, I, have, I, this is what makes me get up in the morning. You know? Yes. I haven't had a lot of people say like limiting thoughts to me, but I am in my mid forties now. And people have said things like, well, are you like, what are you going to do when you don't go on the road anymore? I'm like, I 
don't think I'll not. <laughs> I work no. with I work with Randy Backman. He'll be eighty this year, and he's still going on the road all the time. Because, that's what we do. Because that's what he does. Absolutely. There was a, one question somebody asked Randy years ago when I first started working with him. I've been with him for twenty two years now. Uh, and when when uh, somebody asked him, "What would you be doing if you weren't a successful singer songwriter?" He says, "I guess I'd be an unsuccessful singer songwriter." It's true, you know. I mean, the best answer ever. It, it, yeah. Because it's true. I mean, what? I mean, <clears throat> I, this this has been my dream since I was like twelve or thirteen years old. You know, as soon as I picked up a guitar, or when I got my first band at thirteen or fourteen, or when I played my first bar at fifteen, you know, I knew this is what I wanted for the rest of my life. My dad let me quit. He let me quit high school. I, I don't even have my grade 10. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, not really. I, sh I should have been an A student like you and milk the cows, but I didn't. So, Well, you know, we all can't be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got, you got me there. <laughs> no, I've, I've been a failure in my life and I've been a success. And uh, I'm just like, I am trying to just love all sides. Yeah, well, you're 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 a really good person. That's one thing I learned about you very quickly is how, that you're just a really good person. You're not you're not in any way a shyster. You're not all about you. You're just all about hard work. You're all about doing what you love. You're all about delivering it to people. You're all about making people smile. All all that stuff. You're doing everything for the right reasons, Sarah. You, <laughs> that's I, I really really admire your whole you know, aura, for lack of a better term. Wow, well, thank you. You put you project all the right things, you know. And I'm thank I'm you. really grateful. I'm really grateful to our friend Brad Hawks for bringing me and you together. You know, because me it was, too. It was it was him. I had worked sporadically with Brad. He's a percussionist drummer, and uh, I'd worked with him. And he he phoned me one day. He says, "I've got this song, and with the Sarah Smith, and I'd never heard of you." And uh, and I said, he said, would you produce? I said, well, let's give it a listen, you know. And and so he, I think he sent me, I guess, you, I don't know if you sent it directly to me. Maybe you did. And it was, uh, I think it was a couple of tracks of your guitar and maybe one track of your, of your voice, I think. No, no, it was just one track of guitar, one track of voice, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I went, wow. I mean, even, that's the thing, is that hearing your guitar Hearing your rhythm and wonderful, you mentioned that earlier. You play drums for a time. You understand groove, and and you play very very well to a click. By the way, you do. You play, thank you. Well, because you because you don't you're not rigid, and you're you're in and out of that click, but perfectly. You know, mm. the click is there just as as a template. It's not there as as your. Uh, 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 it's not a rigid thing in your music. You play with the click and make it and make the click. Um, you you make it you make it uh, natural sounding. Um, anyway, so I remember when I, I, just hearing that song, I went, I can hear where this is going it, right mm -hmm. away. I, I, as soon as I heard your guitar and your voice, well, they say that's that's the best songs too. Is the, the songs you can play on a, an acoustic guitar and sing, and everybody gets it, you know. Mm -hmm. And so it was to me, it was easy to add what I felt the song. The only thing we did with this album from the original. Crossroads is I added backup vocals on. Mm -hmm. It's really nice. Yeah. Oh, by the way, Stuart played uh, played some lap steel on that live the other day on Meet Me at the Crossroads. Oh, cool! At one of our shows, yeah, it was beautiful. You do oh. play lap steel on it, right? 
Yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah. You believe the lap steel I use, it'll, it'll laugh your head off. <laughs> Here, I'll, 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 I'll grab it for you. It was, give, <laughs> it was given to me by a friend of mine. I have no idea what this thing is. Cool. Um, and this is what it looks like. Oh my God. No it's, way. Yeah. It's wow. like, it's cool. Called, it's called an artist. And the thing is, this is the tone control. This is a volume control. The tone control, oh, wow. I have to I have to keep the tone control all the way off all the time because this pickup <laughs> buzzes so bad. You oh, can't my get God. The buzz. So it's, yeah, it's it, it's amazing that I get anything out of this thing at all. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's, anyway. yeah, see, you're, up, you're, right you're like me, free is better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. Free is always good. Yeah, you know, but, but you do you do respect things you pay for though. Yes, more yes. Um, I just so, I just sorry I just got a new guitar. I've I've had the same guitar pretty much my whole adult life, and um, I, it was smushed in an airplane. Wow! And so I got a new guitar. The uh, airline bought me a new guitar, and pretty happy with this brand new guitar. It's 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 still a work in progress because I like to mold things and make them mine. Um, but uh, it's kind of nice having this brand new expensive guitar. I got to show you something else. <laughs> show and tell. Yeah, this is show and tell. But this is, remember I told you about this? Oh, the red guitar. Yeah. But what Beautiful. It, it's a, it, it, the, this guitar is really special to me. I've only played it live once, but I think that it's a, they're the coolest things on earth. And the reason why I have this guitar, I lost my brother last year, and he was the one who basically was my musical mentor. He was a bass player primarily for most of his career. But when I first started playing guitar, he, for some reason, ended up playing guitar in a band, but he didn't own one. So mm -hmm. somebody lent him a guitar exactly the same as this. This is, not, wow. this is a 1965 Baldwin guitar. And so this is the very first electric guitar I ever played in my entire life is one of these because wow. he, he had it at home. Right. So I found this in Nashville and wow. I, and I brought it back home and it was basically an homage to my brother. And, and that's, that's why I thought, well, this would be such a cool guitar for Sarah to play in her videos. <laughs> so cool. So <laughs> was your brother's name? Ken? Ken. Yeah. yeah. Kenny. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks, Kenny. Yeah. yeah. Had a lot of Kennys in my life that have that have shown me the way. It's pretty cool. This is this has been a great, great interview. I, I totally I learned, I learned a lot about you today that I had no clue. I had no clue. Yeah. And um and I I wish you the greatest of success. Uh for anybody out there, Sarah's latest album is uh, come together, which and tell tell everybody about that album. Because it's kind of an interesting concept you put together. Yeah, you know, it, uh, I had these beautiful songs that I had written and recorded with Pat Anthony and from Germany. And I had these beautiful songs that you and I were working on, Mick Delavie in Canada. And I thought, is there any way we can meld these two um, genres, like these two production styles, the German production and the Canadian production, and meld it into one? Because this is really me. I am a part of many different faucets. And I wanted to, you know, show the world these two different massive faucets, the, the Canadian production and the German production. And I wanted it to meld into one. And that's exactly what we did with this album, Come Together. 
I've had a lot of comments and you know something that a lot of people can't hear the production difference like you and I can, you know, they just hear the voice. Yes, exactly. Um, you know, me and you are both Beatle fans. Like we can ascertain that. And if you listen to the White Album, every song is like a different band is playing it. Totally. What what what, what glues it together is the voice, uh, voices. Uh, and that's the thing about like nowadays when you do an album, like right, like my drums are always set up here. The microphones are always on them. They're always ready to go. But with the Beatles, they would mic up the drums, and then the next song they go, okay. Let's mic them up. We did that last time. So, so they would never cool. mic up songs for an album. Every song was the drums are mic'd differently. They're put in a different part of the room. And like so, everything was a new sound. And 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 I think that's one of the things that brought joy to everybody with their albums was the diversity. Mm. And this is what you mm. this is what you've presented here. You eighteen know? tracks, eighteen. Yeah. Yeah. And there's one there's one sort of rogue track in there from my friend Tim Steinrock, and he's from Vancouver and. I wanted to add that one because Tim is just like, he's become a bit of a spiritual mentor to me and I wanted to include him as well. Tim and I know more of each other than we know each other. We have mm -hmm. met, but we're, we're, we're mutual friends to so many people. And it was, it was interesting to see that you, you and him. So how did you meet up with Tim? How did that happen? I met Tim through rise up TV. I've been involved in, in this process where um, they put a bunch of artists in a bus together and we travel around and they're doing a documentary. It's they're working. It's a work in progress documentary. I've been doing it for about seven years now. Um, but uh, the documentary hasn't really been um, like released yet. So it's just keeps, we just keep filming all these episodes and all these tours. And Tim and I were on the Vancouver Island tour together. Mm -hmm. and, and so, and you guys connected on a spiritual level, I guess. Yeah. Tim, Tim is a walking guru, really. He uh, he's a great guy. I love him very much, and he's taught me a lot. Yeah, I can I can I can tell I can tell that you yeah. feel very close to him, which is which is a wonderful thing. And he and and I know he's a wonderful guy because a lot of people speak very highly of him, and he's an immense talent himself. Mm -hmm. He can sing and write and play, and he's a great performer. And yeah, on this Rise Up TV tour, we got to perform some some songs together and. Uh, got you to guys, hang together. You guys must have sang well together. It's you know what? There's a secret little thing going to come out soon. It's one of his songs, and we did a duo or a duet, and uh, I think it sounds world class. I think it's amazing. Oh, I bet, I bet. I could, I could hear you two singing together, and it would be pretty magical. It would be a really good matchup for sure. Yeah, he's got the real growl, and I've got like this sort of soft growl, and it kind yeah. of works. Yeah, well, you got that edginess in your voice. You got, you know, sort of, I don't know, almost a, not quite as much, but a bit of a Melissa Etheridge sort of tinge to your voice. Like it's mm -hmm. a voice, it's a voice that's been worked a lot, and that's <laughs> and no, and that and that's a very appealing sound. I mean, that like, yeah. I remember, I remember we used to we used to refer to it as a whiskey throat. I remember we used to hear the old Bob Seger albums, and he had this incredible range, but he always had that grit as well. You know, mm -hmm. I totally. mean, totally. You listen to you listen to Bob Seger songs like old time rock and roll. It, it's not low. It's not mm -hmm. a low song to sing. Those notes are up there, but his voice is mm -hmm. so gritty. It doesn't sound like it's that high until you try to sing it. <laughs> exactly. You know, incredible. But anyway, Sarah, this has been a joy. You're a joy. I love <laughs> working with you. Hope we can do some more stuff soon. And thank you for this interview. And uh, I, as I, I, 
I can't say enough about you. I'm a big fan from the get-go. So Thank you so much, Mick. And thanks again for bringing my songs to life. And I can't wait for people to take a listen. And if you're, if you're a CD listener, I'll have CDs very soon <laughs> rather than online. Right. Okay. Well, have a great day and uh, get back to your doggies and Leslie and Pender Island. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Mick. Take care. Bye-bye.